Over the next two weeks, I want to look at what makes a champion. And if I had to word it a different way, I would word it by saying, how do I win in life? Anybody in here want to win in life? Have you ever met anybody that says, man, I just want to lose and be a loser all the days of my journey? I've never met anybody like that. I think we all want to win, and that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. So last weekend, Barb and I, my wife, we had an incredible opportunity and privilege to be in Cooperstown, New York. And uh, it was a blast. It was a rush. From the time we got at the Atlanta airport on Friday morning until we got back late Monday afternoon, it was a trip. Now, when you fly with Jeff Foxworthy and his brother and a few others, there's going to be a lot of laughter and a lot of trip. And we stayed together those four days, Jeff and Jay and these other people and Barb and I, and it it was a lot of fun. But we were in Cooperstown for this reason. John Smoltz had invited us to come up to be a part of his induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm like, no way. Now, Cooperstown is the Mount Rushmore for baseball. All of the icons, the greatest named players to ever play the game, who have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. They've got their plaques and all this memorabilia. I mean, it's really just a cool place to be. But while I'm there, I mean, my favorite player growing up was Johnny Bench. I was a little leaguer growing up once upon a time when I had hair and could actually throw the ball from here to the back of the the room. Uh, that, That used to happen in my life. But as I was growing up, he was my favorite. And I wanted to meet him so bad. And uh, I told Jeff and Barb and him, I'm like, I just want to meet Johnny Bench. He was my childhood hero. And so we go through that entire week, and I'm like, it's not going to happen. So we get back to the uh, airport in Albany, New York. We go through security. We're making our way down to our gate. And we look over at our gate, and it's just crowded with people, which I look at and think, it's another train wreck. Foxworthy's going to take 500 more pictures and sign 500 more autographs. We're never even going to board the flight. And all of a sudden, we look over, and it's like, well, there's not many people here. Let's, let's go over here instead. And we walk over and put our bags down, and we're there for like five seconds. And all of a sudden, a voice goes, hey, Jeff. And Jeff turns around and goes, Johnny, what's up? And I'm like, Johnny Bench, no way. I've always wanted to meet him. And ended up being able to meet Johnny Bench right there. And then he turns around and says, have you guys met my buddy Al and Al Kaline, the Mr. Detroit Tiger, he's called, one of the greatest players of all time. And so we end up hanging out and I end up getting to meet my childhood hero, which I was so excited about. Now we get on the plane and there's Bobby Cox and Tom Glavin and Foxworthy and this guy, Burt Blylevin, who's in the Hall of Fame and Robin Yount. And the list goes on. Johnny Bench is in the seat in front of me. And Jay Foxworthy, Jeff's brother, goes, you realize if this plane goes down, we're going to be a part of one of the uh, most famous plane crashes of all time. You realize that, don't you? (laughs) And I look over at Barb, and I'm thinking of my kids, and I'm thinking of you guys, and I'm like, Lord, please don't let me be a part of the most famous plane crash in U.S. history. So it's good to be here. But it got me thinking being up there. Why were these guys elevated and enshrined? Why were they applauded? And why are they a part of this 215 players over a 100-year period of time that make it to the Hall of Fame? There's only 215 players in this place. You think about all the kids that play the game and all the Major League Baseball players over the years, only 215 have been enshrined there. 
And I'm like, how did they get there? It wasn't just because they showed up. And it wasn't just because their parents paid $500 for them to play in this special league. And it wasn't just because they had the nicest glove and the nicest cleats and the nicest equipment. How did they get there? And I started thinking they got there because, because they had a determination that could not be stopped. They had work ethic that said, I'm going to continue to persevere and fight through one more day of struggle. They got there because they understood adversity and was not afraid of it. They got there because they stayed the course. And I started thinking about that when it comes to the Christian life. It's like, what people have you met in your life that you really admire? I mean, who are the ones that show up day after day? Who are the ones that recognize that adversity is nothing more than a fertilizer used by God to bring about deeper maturation in your faith journey? Who are the people that you know will be in the foxhole the next day? I'm not talking about posers and I'm not talking about pretenders. I'm talking about players. Who do you know that's a player right there? That, that player right there plays. Whether they're 0 for 4 or 4 for 4, you can't tell the difference. They still give it everything they got. Who are those people, spiritually speaking, that you've encountered? Think about it. So, so, so it made me think, like, what really makes a champion? So 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. It's in your bulletin, and I want you to read along with me. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in 24 The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may win and get the prize. Run in such a way that you may win and get the prize. Check out the the text. He says, everyone who competes in the games... Now, the Ithmus games of Corinth back in that day were kind of like the modern-day Olympics, if you will, for that area. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. It would be wise to circle that. Every person who's going to compete as an athlete, every person who desires to be a champion goes into strict training. Listen to what he says. They do it to get a crown that will not last. They do it to get a trophy that will not last. They do it to have a plaque put on a wall, but it's not going to last for eternity is the emphasis. But we do it, but we, us who say that we've repented of our sin, place our faith and confidence in Jesus, for us who say we belong to Christ, let me tell you why we run the race. Because we're going to get a crown that has no expiration date that will last forever. That's what he's saying. Therefore, because we run a different race and because we're going to receive a crown that lasts forever, therefore, I do not run like a man aimlessly. Come on, come on. I don't do life aimlessly. I, I don't do life without a plan, without an agenda, without goals, without Something that I'm shooting at. Listen to what he says. I do not fight like a man who is just beating the air. I don't do that. No, I beat my body. And I make it my slave. I train my body. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified 
for the prize. Do you get it? Paul is playing it out in a beautiful way right here. He goes, let me tell you, I I desire to see every person I encounter to be a champion for Christ. I want to see you know how to win. And there's a way to do it. And I want to give you five simple principles as I break this down today. And I don't care what business you're in, education, student, whatever you're doing, what I'm about to share today can be a game changer for you. Maybe you've only been in here for a few weeks. Maybe you've gone through some turbulence in your life. Maybe you haven't been here in a few weeks and you you were here and and you kind of bounced around and you're going, hey, I want to win. I need to be pumped up today in Christ. These are going to help you right here. Now write them down and and, and make notes in your bulletin because these, uh, these points are there. Here's what I know about a champion. Champions possess passion. They possess passion. My definition of passion is an agitation of the soul coupled with a motivation of the will with a desperation to accomplish. Think about it. It's agitation coupled with motivation plus desperation. When I experience agitation in my soul, I don't like where I am. There's things I can do to get better. Come on. When there's an agitation of my soul, something is starting to be stirred. I'm not going to stay where I've been. Then the will becomes motivated. I have this motivation of the will, my thinking, my emotions, whatever. I've got to be more. I've got to do more. It gives me this desperation to accomplish or succeed. When, When you start to look at people in life, I'm looking for those things. How agitated. We still, we had the old... Uh, newer brand of washing machines that Barb hates. We like the old school washing machines, the one you lift the top on and the one you drop the clothes in and the one that still has that little middle piece called the agitator. Yeah, that's the one she likes right there. So when I throw those clothes in there and that washing machine begins to, to jar it around, what is it doing to the clothes? It's agitating the laundry. And when it agitates, what is it doing? It's cleaning it. God allows certain things to come into our life repeatedly to agitate our soul, our our thinking. Hey, you're jacked up there. Something's not right. Once that happens, it's got to lead to a motivation of the will. I want to improve. I want to get better. I want to get well. We talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time. A lot of people you sit down with in conversation will tell you their problems and their pain and their story. But when you look at them and say, do you want to get well? They'll just tell you they're not as sick today as they were two weeks ago. I don't care what level of sickness you're at until there's this desperation to get well. You're not going to change. Come on. Crawford Loritz, my mentor, said this. He said, passion, it's what your life is geared toward. It determines your priorities. It's the fundamental purpose of what you're willing to live for and die for. Passion is what defines your life at any given moment. It's what others recognize about you even though they can't articulate it. So if people were to do a a living autopsy on you and say, here's what they're passionate about, what would it be? Because Paul, when you start to cut him open, you would go, he's a spiritual champion. 
Read his life. He lived the normal Christian life, not the super normal Christian life. It was normal. But Paul was a passionate brother. And Paul, even in Philippians, would write, I want to know Christ. For me to live, Philippians 121, is Christ. I want my life marked and stamped by knowing Jesus. Not church attendance. Not showing up for 90 minutes on a Sunday. I want to be known as a person who's in love with Jesus. I want to be consumed with Christ Jesus. And you would look at the life of Paul and you would say he lived a purpose-driven life. What was his purpose? Hey, 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 for me to live is Christ. All my sufferings and all this, I, I, I relish in those things because they're conforming me to Christ. The greatest desire that can possess any human heart is the passion to know and see and experience and encounter Jesus Christ, period. So when you start to look at passion, here's some things I wrote down. I want you to get them. When I think about passion, here's what I think about. Check this out. Passion involves a consuming desire. It's a consuming fire. It's a consuming desire. You can't get rid of it when you lay down, when you wake up, when you walk through the day. Is the desire deepest in your heart to embrace Christ? This consuming desire has to lead me to confidence in God. And I want to talk about this even next week a little bit deeper about what it means to believe. But do I have confidence in God? Do I believe that God's for me? Not for other people, but for me. Do I believe, as I quoted in prayer, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think? Do I believe that? If I have this consuming desire coupled with this confidence in God, it's going to lead me to a commitment to take action. I can't just sit around and kick my feet up any longer. I have to do something. There, there's got to be a commitment to action. A person who's living with this Christ-centered passion is going to have consistency. They're not going to be on again, off again, hot again, cold again. You, you're going to start to see consistency with them. It's going to lead to a courage to act. We talked about compassion. Every time that word compassion is used, there's action that follows. Faith is an action word. Love is an action word. Grace is an action word. These are not dormant, do-nothing words. So when we start to think about passion, it starts to act. It's got the courage to act. And then here's something else I know about it. It starts to lead to this contagious determination that starts to spread to other people. When a person is on fire and totally jacked about whatever their passion is, they will start to attract a crowd. And when you start to see people on fire for Jesus, they become contagious, right? It's like, don't get around them. They've got a cold right now, and the doctor says they're contagious. Well, I want to be around people that have been around Jesus that are contagious, my, my desire is that every person sitting in this room today, when you walk out these doors and hit those streets, that other people that see you at Applebee's and Chili's and Walmart's and Kroger would say, that that person is contagious. Something's leaking out of them that you need to get. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in a person's life is the day they're born and the day they realize why. People with passion have answered the question of why. 
Why do you exist? God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied with him. When you answer the why statement, it starts to unlock the what's and the where's and the how's as you do life. Two, champions. They possess passion, but they also exercise discipline. Discipline. This is a foreign word in our society. Tom Landry, the great coach of the Dallas Cowboys, again, he said the key to becoming a great coach is getting people to do what they don't want to do so that they can become what they've always dreamed of. Discipline. Discipline is absolutely necessary if you're going to run the race and win it. Without discipline, you will not grow, you will not develop, you will not mature, you will not win. You've got to be disciplined. Listen to what Vince Lombardi said. He said, winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all the time thing. He says, you don't win once in a while, you do things right all the time. That's what we used to teach as we were training these kids in sports. Practice don't make perfect, practice makes permanence. What you've got to learn to do is practice right. Perfect practice will lead to perfect. And so as Lombardi said, hey, there's more to it. Then just some of the time, the people that win consistently do a lot of things right because they've got discipline. Paul emphasized that in the text in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, everyone who competes in the games goes into, listen, listen, strict training. Strict training. I've worked with athletes all my life. Here's what I know. You have to watch what you eat. You have to watch what you put in your system. You've got to watch how much time you spend in rest. You've got to make sure you're sleeping enough, resting enough, and you're getting the right fuel. Why? It's part of strict training. I've hung out with bodybuilders, eliminating carbs and just eating cans of tuna and drinking water. Why? They're eliminating, they're stripping down. Right, Dallas? They're stripping down, and you see them, and it's like, what's happening? They've entered into strict training. They're cutting up now. They're not heavy bulk. They're going more reps. They're doing other things. They're in strict training. Listen to me. There is no reason why we as blood-bought believers don't stay in strict training. God has opened up the door for prayer and meditation and pondering and study of his word. We should be known as a group that stays in strict training. You know, then people over there at the cross they possess a lot of passion, but let me tell you, there's some disciplined fools over there, man. They, they, believe, they believe in what they're doing. So discipline means I give up what's good, Ronnie, for what's best. That's one of our big word plays right there. I'm going to give up what's good for what's best. It means saying uh, no thank you to the things that are going to hinder you. I had a thing right after I got saved, a little card, and I had it stuck in my Bible. I'll never forget this. I got it at a little Christian bookstore back in 1985. I'd been saved about six weeks, saw this, and I'm like, I didn't know if it was a verse or whatever because I didn't know any scripture back then. But I got this card, and I'm like, oh, I love that. Obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off your goal. And I wrote that in my Bible. I'm like, I like that little card. I want, I want, I want to have that because I want to eliminate obstacles but what I have to do is define my goal. Where am I going? What is your goal in life? My goal in life is to know Christ. My goal in life is to be all I can be for the kingdom. My goal in life is to be a child of the most high that he can use to infiltrate others. 
champions. Number three, number three, they have commitment and focus. They have commitment and focus. Now, when you think about discipline and commitment and focus, let me say this to you. Discipline leads me to staying committed and focused. 1 Timothy 4 says this, discipline, exercise yourself for the purpose of being godly. The word discipline and the word exercise in the Bible comes from the Greek word, gymnaza, is where we get the English word gymnasium from. So when we talk about discipline and commitment and focus, there's so many athletic metaphors in this Bible. It's unreal. So what he's saying is, hey, hey, gymnaza, spiritually sweat it out. Stay with it so you can stay committed and focused. Even the writer of Hebrews would say, you've got to learn to endure hardship. You've got to learn to put up with those things that are not necessarily the things you're going to gravitate toward. Hardship, enduring hardship, Paul would even write to Timothy and say, endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Meaning, if you're going to stay, stay the course and if you're going to be the person God wants you to be, you're going to have to put up with some nonsense at times to get to your destination. Come on. Y'all sitting there attentive, but y'all ain't saying a whole lot today now. Come on. Make sense? Now I'm trying to coach you up here. Trying to coach you up. Now, commitment and focus. It will determine whether you see your walk with Christ as a spectator or whether you see it as a serious competitor. We talk all the time here. Our walk with Jesus is not a spectator sport. It's a participator sport. God does not call us to come in here and be consumers. He calls us to come in here to be reloaded so that we can go out into the world and be a distributor. We're not raising up a bunch of consumers. We want to see distributors. Now, if you look at Philippians chapter 3, write this in your notes, verses 12 through 14. Listen to what he says. I'm speaking as though I have not already obtained it yet. I'm speaking as though I have not become perfect yet. But what I do is I press on so that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. I do not regard myself having attained it or apprehended it yet. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing forward to what lies ahead. Now, how, how do you stay committed and focused? Let me, let me give you this. Let me give you this. When Paul says, when Paul says, right here, when Paul says, this is what I do, I am forgetting. Look, it's, you say it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. I'm forgetting what lies behind. The word forget there literally means I will no longer be influenced and affected or defined by my past. Come on. Can I forget mentally? No, but can I choose to turn back and look and say, I will no longer empower that junk of my past and I will no longer be influenced or affected by my failures, my mistake, my sin. That has been nailed to the cross. But the problem for some of us is that we still carry it around as if we're doing God a spiritual favor. Paul said, let me tell you what, I, I can't stay focused and committed and move forward 
if I'm still being defined by that, this one thing I do, I'm laying that aside, I'm reaching, I'm straining, I'm pressing, I'm moving forward. Make sense? Make sense? And so spiritually speaking, that's what God is calling us to. Discipline, but yet commitment and focus. And what was Paul saying basically? He's saying, you know what? I want to be known as a person who finishes the race. I want to be known as a person who's not disqualified. I don't want to do something stupid that would disqualify me from winning the prize. I don't, I don't want to do that. So here's one of my favorite teachings. Favorite teachings. If I'm going to run the race, R-A-C-E, R-A-C-E, there's four things I can control every day. I can't control the weather. Can't control it. I can't control some of the stupid drivers on the road. Amen. Right? But I can control four things. I can control my respect, my attitude, my concentration, and my effort. Let me break it down. The word respect means to esteem and honor. So when it comes to commitment and focus, how well did I respect the moment, the circumstances, or the environment that I was in? So if I look back over yesterday saying, all right, I'm going to grade myself on how well did I run the race yesterday. I got up early. My kids came with me. We were here bright and early. All right, we do this back to school thing. I mean, there's a ton of things going on, but we're constantly engaging with people. When snappy people made snappy comments, that's the best church word I know to come up with right now. But snappy people, how did you respond? How well did I respect my authorities, my leadership, my teammates? Respect. How well did I respect the abilities that God's given me? Did I really exercise them and utilize them for the kingdom? Am I really respecting and giving reverence to Christ in all areas? Am I respecting the word of God and the principles of God that are in the Bible? Am I respecting the Lord in the covenant of my marriage? Am I respecting the Lord with the assignment to train my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What can you control, Tim? What allows you to stay focused and committed? I will focus on what I can control. And one of those things is my respect. My, my respect. Then it moves to attitude. If the respect is good, it unlocks the door for attitude. I don't care if we're coaching basketball, baseball. I don't care what sport. You get a person who does not respect the game, respect their abilities, respect their authority, respect their teammates, respect the officials. It's going to fall apart. I don't care who they are. Attitude. Attitude is my governing mindset. It's the way I think. Listen to this. Lou Holtz said, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. But attitude determines how well you do it. You get that? Ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do, how deep you go with it. But attitude is going to determine how well you do it. What was my attitude like today? What was my attitude like toward others? What was my attitude like when I succeeded? What was it like when I failed? What was it like when I was applauded? What was it like when I was booed? What was it like when I was not recognized. Come on. The, 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 if you focus on this, it will keep you focused and committed. C, 
If the respect's good, it unlocks the possibility for the attitude. If the attitude is good, then it unlocks the C, which is your concentration. My ability to have focused attention on the task at hand. My kids can tell you this. My boys, when they go out and play the game of baseball, I don't say, now how many did you strike out? How many did you walk? How many hits did you have? How many RBIs? How many, how many, how many? I will look and go, how well did you run the race? I don't care if you struck out everybody and their mama. If your respect and attitude was jacked up, I don't care. Because we care more about character than we do conduct. We care more about the core operational belief inside than we do results. We've got to shatter the performance paradigm and get back to what matters. Concentration. How well did I focus? Was I aware of others around me? You ever met people that it appears they did not know that anybody else was in this cosmic domain with them? Stephen Comedian Wright nailed it right, right? Sometimes I go off into my own world, but that's okay. They know me there. And some people stay so far into their own world. When things did not go my way, did I lose my concentration? Come on, Caleb. Did I live in the moment of the now or did I live in the past? Did I get mad and lose focus because of my spouse, my child, my coworker? They don't have the ability to change me. If I get upset, all it is is God exposing to me still some of the junk that's inside me. Well, you know the reason I did that is because you made me mad. Oh, so now I'm going to deflect, shift the blame, take no responsibility, and play the victim. No, the reason I did it is because I'm still a stinking jerk in process of being sanctified. And I was wrong. Think about it. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man's unstable in all that he does. Now, let me get to effort. Effort is something done by exerting yourself or hard work. If respect is good, listen to me, your attitude is going to be good or have a chance to be good. When the attitude is good, your concentration is going to be, have a chance to be good. And then the concentration unlocks the door for effort. Go to a t-ball game and tell me what word you hear parents and coaches scream at their kids all the time. Concentrate, Johnny! He's out there throwing daisies in the air. He's got a handful of dirt seeing, look at all that dirt go through my hand. He's not respecting where he's at. His attitude is checked out. He has no ability to concentrate. Do you think he's going to give a good effort? No chance. You know when people give a good effort? It's when the RAC is there. Did I run through the tape today and finish my assignments? When I got tired or frustrated, did I quit? Did I drop my head and pout after a setback? How was my effort today? Colossians 3 says, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for God, not for people. Champions have passion. They have discipline. They have commitment and focus. You want to be a champion? I'm giving you nuggets today. Four, champions demonstrate self-sacrifice. There's a price to be paid to be a champion. Hebrews 12 again says, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, anything that would tangle us up so that we can run the race before us with endurance. Let us lay aside. What do you need to give up today? 
Now, I'm going to pick on you for a little bit. What do you need to give up? A bad attitude? A complaining spirit? A destructive habit? An entitlement mindset? A dysfunctional relationship? What do you need to give up? I was so pumped about our shirts that we had for our back-to-school event. They're kind of this neon, greenish, yellow, whatever color they are. And it's got our cross logo, just like this shirt right here. And on the back, it was a verse at the bottom that says Galatians 6.14. But the caption on the back of the shirt read, we love to brag. We love to brag. If you know the verse, it says, if I'm going to brag or boast, I'm going to brag and boast about Jesus and his cross. So I love it because it's a backdoor phrase to get somebody to look at it to go, what does it mean? And one of the people came in and looked at Julie and goes, well, I hate that shirt. And if I would have been there, I would have said, I hate your attitude. I can change what goes on the back of the shirt, but I'm not sure you can change your attitude. Do you know that some people are going to complain no matter what you do? October will be 30 years for me being saved. I've been writing out things I've learned over the last 30 years, and one of them is no matter what you do, you can't make everybody happy. Why? Because some people are not willing to give up a complaining spirit. But, but if you're going to run the race and stay focused and win, do I have any high-maintenance dysfunctional relationships that continue to zap me? Do I have any habits that I need to confront and give up? What's tearing me up and weighing me down? We, we've been dealing with people that we love greatly, and our concern for some is if they do not repent and let go of the bottle, they're going to destroy themselves, and it breaks our heart. And you see people going, they're drinking their problems away. They run back over here and just, they're killing it every night. Do they know? Yes. But are they walking in the spirit and walking free? No. And all of these dysfunctional habits. If I'm going to embrace Jesus, let me say it this way and wrap it up. If God gets my heart, he gets my hand. He gets what I put in it. He gets what I drink. He gets what I smoke or don't smoke. He gets what I eat. If God gets, if God really gets my heart, he gets my eyes. He gets my thought life. Come on. So champions demonstrate self-sacrifice, but they also exemplify character. My work and definition of character is simply defined as Christ-likeness. People say, well, it's who you are when no one's watching. And true character is Christ-likeness. If I'm really allowing Jesus to be Jesus, Barb and I can live a trust relationship. We've been married this year. It'll be 25 years. But it's like, I ain't worrying about you. I pray for you. I love you. But when you head out to go to the store, I really believe you're going to the store. Right? I mean, look at this. I ain't Lance Romance. I mean, GQ hadn't called me in a long time wanting to do, you know, bro, man, we've been checking you out, man. We think you'd be, 
our angel is a centerfold. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Paul said in Philippians 3.0, he says that I might know him. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship even of his sufferings. I want to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. I just want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I, I, want, to, I want to lean in and press in and stay with his chief cornerstone every day. As born-again believers, God's given us the ability and power to be champions in life. Reality is there is nothing too difficult for us with the Holy Spirit and Christ being inside of us. Nothing. The things which are impossible with man, Matthew 19 says, are possible with God. I can master and do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength, which means Christ is my sufficiency no matter where I'm at or what I've got. Romans 8 says, And all these things were more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. I'll close you with a little Lombardi. He said, the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence regardless of their work or their endeavor. The quality of your life is in direct proportion to what you're really chasing after and what you're really trying to find is your ultimate desire. When Jesus Christ becomes the center and the rock that you stand on, I'm telling you right now, you will start to throw excuses out the window. You will refuse to deflect. You will stand there and you will say, all right, I want to be the man that you've called me to be. I want to be the woman that you've called me to be. I want to be a champion. I want to run the race before me in such a way that would glorify you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And it starts by surrendering and being sold out to Christ. Let's pray.